that strawberry is her favorite Nutri-Green bar, and she also likes Fig Jam. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Raw Safari. Hi, hello, how are you? Welcome back to the podcast that believes you can never have too many episodes about red pandas, the Rasafari Podcast. I'm really excited to bring you today's interview, but first a quick few reminders. If you'd like to support the pod, hit up patreon.com slash Rasafari, where there are a bunch of options for how you can do that, and you'll get some cool stuff in return. Also, make sure you're following along at Rossafari on Instagram and Facebook and at Rossafari Pod on TikTok. I have been sorely neglecting my TikTok, but I have some ideas for fun content that I plan to record soon, so now is a great time to start following. Also, fun little quick life update for me. I've officially signed my contract, so can announce that I'll be heading to Florida from mid-June to the end of July to play a show. It's the world premiere of a show called Great Balls of Fire, and I'll be performing at Florida Studio Theater in Sarasota. Now, you know that means I'll be hitting up Zoo Tampa and a bunch of other institutions while I'm in the area. So, if you're a Florida person, let me know where you are and maybe we can hit a zoo together. And uh, if you'd like to be entertained by me in my other career, let me know and and I'm sure we can uh, get you to the show as well. But hey... Enough about me. Let's get to this interview. This is my second interview from Cape May County Zoo, and I kind of love the story behind it. The interview is with Amy King, a keeper who has become a good friend of mine at the zoo. We got to know each other on Instagram, as you do nowadays, and uh, we've become friends in real life, or IRL as the kids say. Amy is not the type of person who would normally do a podcast, so when Alex, the person who set up these interviews, asked her if she would be interested in doing a podcast, she told him no, unless it was this one. Fortunately, it was this one. So y'all get to hear from Amy today. And man, I love that kind of thing. Makes me feel special. So okay, Amy's primary job at the Cape May County Zoo is that she is in charge of the diets there, but... Honestly, we never even get around to discussing that work in the interview. Trust me, we had plenty of other stuff to talk about, and you won't miss it. But I do mention this because when I walked in, she had prepared a diet for me. In one of the bowls used for the red pandas, she put some grapes, kiwi, apples, and bananas. She also covered it in foil and wrote 1.0, Red Panda Stalker John AM on it, just like she would for any other animal at the zoo. When I saw it, I cracked up and then instantly wolfed it down because I hadn't actually had time to eat breakfast that day and had already done last week's episode. So yeah, that was a great joke and also kind of a lifesaver all at once. Make sure you check my Instagram stories today because along with adorable red panda pics from Cape May County Zoo, I'll also be posting pics of my diet. And you know, that story, that's just who Amy is. She's funny, she's sweet, and she has an awesome heart, and she is going to hate that I am saying all of this in the intro. So 
I'm going to shut up now because she will absolutely give me crap the next time I see her if I don't. So without further ado, here is my interview with Amy King of Cape May County Zoo. All right. So tell me who you are, where we are, and what you do here. Starting off with some easy ones for you. My name is Amy King. I work at the Cape May County Zoo, and I am an animal keeper and the dietitian here. And I am responsible for taking care of the red pandas here as well. Red pandas. What's that? I've never heard of that species before. You're funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, we'll, we'll get to them and, and probably some other animals maybe. But I, I want to start off by asking a little bit about um, you. How did you decide to get into this field? Okay. Um, how boring do you want me to get with Pretty this? Pretty boring. Oh, okay. I, I, yeah, okay, okay. I, I think some, some of my audience likes to use this to fall asleep. So. <laughs> oh, well then. I can certainly oblige. Um, when I graduated college as a youngster in the normal college age, I was focusing on math. Um, and I decided, even though I had a lifelong love of animals, I didn't think that I would be able to get a job in working with animals in any way. So I decided to focus on math because that was a strength of mine, and I ended up working at a bank. I figured I'd work at the bank for a couple years and then get, you know, a real job. Nine years later, I was still at the bank, and it was it was an okay job. I mean, I was good at it. It was good. Um, but I didn't feel fulfilled in any way, and I didn't feel like I was contributing anything to the greater good. So I left the bank, and I went back to school, and this time I was mid-30s can't remember exactly, maybe 34-ish. And I decided to study more of an animal field. And um, it was, I decided to do wildlife conservation and forestry, and then try to embark on a career in animal care in some way. So having more self-confidence at an older age, I was able to do that. Whereas when I was younger, I didn't feel I had the confidence to do that. So when I was in my mid-30s-ish, I graduated college with a degree in forestry and wildlife conservation, and I started to look for a job. I had a part-time job at a kennel, which, which was fun. I mean, it was okay. Um, but I went online and looked around, and I thought, hey, I grew up, <laughs> I grew up near the Cape May County Zoo. I, I wonder if they're hiring at all. So I randomly went on the uh, website for the county and saw an opening for a seasonal position. I was like, oh, that's cool. Six months full time. I can, if I like it, great. I'll know that I like it. If I don't like it, six months, I'm out. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like good way to try something out. So I, uh, they hired me. Surprisingly, I had an interview, and then four months later, I started after they offered me the job. That's how the county rolls. Um, <laughs> and uh, I've been here ever since. I was a seasonal employee for eleven months. Then I was part-time and then I finally a full-time position opened up and they're stuck with me now love it and um that's really cool I I like my best friend is is uh also in her 30s and also doing a career change trying to get into keeping so um that's really encouraging and really cool to hear so yeah it was a complete career change start over and was it scary obviously any big change is scary but I mean I just I feel so fulfilled in this job I mean I love my job. And there's days when I'm literally saying to myself, I can't believe I'm getting paid to do this. So, I mean, 
you only live once. Try whatever you feel like trying. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. Um, so tell me, what was your favorite animal before all of this? I've always, I've always liked red pandas. When I came to the zoo, they were one of my favorites. Um, huge, huge ferret fan. Okay. Obsessive. I run a ferret rescue. I volunteer for U.S. Fish and Wildlife, and I go out to Kansas, South Dakota, and I do um, Blackfoot ferret population surveys, oh, wow. nighttime surveys, which is really cool. I used to do that every year, but with COVID, it's it's been it's been a bit. But um, and I also spent a day at the Louisville Zoo at one of the uh, Blackfoot ferret breeding facilities. So ferrets would be. That's fascinating. So so tell me about the uh, the ferret rescue. Tell me all about it. Well, I, like I said, I've always been a fan of ferrets, and I had a pet ferret when I was younger. And then um, when I was, oh God, I don't remember, 2000, probably 13, 12 or 13, um, I had a couple ferrets as pets. And a friend of mine was like, oh, I have these ferrets. I can't keep them, blah, 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 blah. So I ended up with, with three more. And then it just kind of <laughs> snowballed from there. And all these people somehow found me and asked me to take in their ferrets. And as I am a sap and a sucker for geriatric animals, um, I was taking them in. And I decided that I should look into becoming a 501c3 so that I can take donations and it could be tax deductible for people. Um, so I looked into that. I talked to my vet first and asked him if he would be my ferret vet and he was right. totally on board because he absolutely loves ferrets. Um, so I went through all that, filled out all the paperwork and put the money into it, set up a room in my house, made a website, a Facebook page, all that stuff. And I am now weasel warriors, ferret sanctuary. <laughs> yes. It's such a good name. <laughs> and also probably name of the episode, the weasel warrior. I love it. <laughs> Oh, that's so good. Um, very cool. And so how many how many ferrets do you have right now that you're taking? Right care of? now I have twenty one. <laughs> you think that's funny. I do. You should have been there when I had fifty. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> okay. And and this is just basically you taking care of them. Trying to find homes for the young healthy ones. Yeah. Um and I have adopted a lot of them out, which is how I got down to, to twenty one. Um I just it's just there was a period of time where it felt like it was this I was constantly being inundated with with incoming ferrets and nobody was adopting and it was really hard. Um, but I had a lot of successful adoptions. And the thing that I really like is when the people, and there's several of them, adopt ferrets for me and they stay in contact with me. And, right, like, and right. I'll get pictures and videos and and or they'll ask me questions if they need help. And it's just nice to see these ferrets who I took care of, but I couldn't really give them everything they needed because of my situation and how many I have these ferrets living this great, amazing life and being spoiled and, and getting everything that they need. So, um, so yeah, I'm down to 21 now and I'm, <laughs> I only really have four that are young and healthy enough to adopt out. Um, the thing that inspired me to start a rescue, however, was one of the first groups that I took in. One of them, one of the ferrets in that group was elderly and he needed special care all the time. Like he needed to be spoon fed, syringe fed. He needed meds, injections, etc. And I just, I felt like nurturing him, this geriatric animal, like kind of like I 
kind of thrived on doing that. It brought out this inner nurturer that I never knew I had because I'm not maternal in any way. Okay, yeah. yeah and, and, I see that. Yeah, it's, it's really? Thanks. I mean, to be fair, you did literally prep a meal for me knowing <laughs> that we were going to do this. So maybe I can't see that. Maybe you do have some of those instincts. But but uh, it, does, it doesn't transfer to people. Yeah. Because <laughs> my husband gets upset. He's like, you do that for a ferret. Why can't you do that for me? Like, it's different, okay? But anyway, so... Caring for a geriatric animal is what inspired me to, to turn my just having a bunch of ferrets into an actual rescue and, and the whole thing. And it's just kind of snowballed from there. So That's really cool. Um, I did not know that. And, and we've been friends for a minute now. So that's it's really exciting. Uh, what, is, what is the name of your rescue again? Weasel Warriors Ferret Sanctuary. Cool. I just wanted it really clean because I'm probably going to drop it through the episode a couple times. Uh, <laughs> it's such a good name. Okay. So um, geriatric animals are your jam. And so I think there's only one place to go from there because you have one of the most geriatric red pandas in the country. The most. Is is she now number one? Yeah. Oh, once, my gosh. Once Ty passed right. away. Okay. Or not Ty, Taylor. Taylor. I'm sorry, Taylor, yeah, Ty, yeah. Ty is still alive. Yeah. So Ty and Cyril are like a couple weeks younger than her. I think they're Unbelievable. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about Luna. How old is she? She is 19. And she will be 20 on June 22nd of this year. That's crazy. A 19 and a half year old panda. That is so crazy. Um, and she is living her best life. I mean, she seems to be doing really well. I like, I like to think her. so. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so talk to me about Luna. So Luna is an old lady and she has her old lady routines and ways. Um, she gets up in the morning. Usually she's been sleeping in lately. Um, and she will, when I go in there in the morning, she'll give me a dirty look and wait for me to give her her bowl. She'll eat her fruit. And then usually she will then stretch her legs and go outside for a little walk on the ground. She doesn't climb up anymore at all. It's been probably since last summer was the last time I saw her go up a ramp. Um, and it's been a few months since I've seen her go up any little, the little fake staircase that I made for her. Um, but she'll go outside. She'll eat some bamboo drink some water. She'll come back in, eat some more bamboo. She'll check and see if uh, Ben, our other red panda, if he ate his fruit. And if he didn't, she will. And she just, she just does her own thing. Just does her thing. And she's now, whereas she used to have a bed of straw in her den, she now has upgraded to dog beds and blankets. So she's living very comfortably. Including... A blanket that is um, embroidered. embroidered with her name. Her name. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah. That's not <laughs> ridiculous at all, by the way. Um, yeah, Fandas, we are a uh, we are a special group. <laughs> I felt ridiculous asking. I was like asking around for somebody who could embroider, but I mean that's her blanket, and we have like a communal washing machine mm-hmm. here, and somebody yeah. took her blanket. Well, there you go. So yeah. now that can't happen anymore. Plus, now Ben knows to stay off of it. So. <laughs> ben knows to stay away from Luna. <laughs> that was actually so when we visited with the pandas, um I think my favorite moment was that the second that Ben ducked outside, we, they were both outside, but the second that Ben went outside, Luna hustled for her back in and just stole all of his remaining food. And I was <laughs> I was so proud of her. It was so smooth. It was she was keeping keeping an eye on him the entire time. <laughs> she'll, do, she'll do that. <laughs> but so so seriously, um, 
tell, tell me more about what, what she's like, what your relationship with her is like, uh, how long you guys have been together, all that. So I first started working with Luna, I guess it was eight years ago now, um, when I first trained in, in diets. That's It's the diet staff that takes care of the pandas. And um, I, when I first started working with her, she was obviously eight years younger um, and more spry and active, and she would climb up and be on those, those higher platforms. And it took me literally three months before she would take food from my hand. I was standing there on my tippy toes with a grape balanced on the tip of a target stick <laughs> trying to reach up for her, and she would just give me a look, and she wouldn't even take it off the target stick. So it took me three months of that and slowly building up to – getting her to take food from my hand, which she obviously eventually did. And then from there, you know, I would hand feed her and then I just started working with her and I was finally asked to be her primary trainer. So now at this point, I wasn't the main person in diets. I was just in there on weekends. So I would go out there every day that I wasn't in that section. I would go out there on my lunch break and work with her and train her and got her work going in the crate consistently on the scale. I taught her Paul and back then she could do up, but she, I've retired her from that. <laughs> right. So she's had eight years of me annoying her and being in her face. And at this point, I think she's just kind of resigned herself to the fact that I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> um, and what's great about it is it's, and I can't take credit for this being from training, I think a lot of it has to do with her age. But she also is great now for if the vets want to come in and if they need to, to medicate her or palpate her or anything, they she doesn't really freak out. She'll just stand there and let them do stuff to, to, to an extent, right, right, obviously. Of course, yeah. um, but she's, um, she's come a long way. She, and she's great. I mean, I just point at the crate she goes in the crate she just she's she's amazing and i i don't do as much training with her anymore because there's she's pretty limited in what she, you know in, with her body movements yeah, you know yeah, at yeah. her age but she if i need her to go in the crate she will every every sunday is panda scale day it's their weigh-in day so she sees that scale come down and she knows she's getting good treats and she just comes right out she gets on that scale she turns around and she knows i like to weigh them like at least three or four times in a row so I can average out the weights and get an accurate weight. And she'll turn around and go back and go back on the scale again and then go. <laughs> to, like, and and she'll, just, she'll just do it. She knows the routine. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. You mentioned that she really loves special treats. And she has a very special treat that she loves. Uh, t- t- tell me about that. Her Nutri-Grain bars? Heck yeah, her Nutri-Grain yes. bars. So I discovered, <laughs> it was, God, maybe seven years ago. That apparently Nutri-Grain bars are akin to crack for pandas. <laughs> and um, so at the time, and I don't know what made me try Nutri-Grain bars. I, I really don't remember because she trains well for grapes. Right. But um, Yeah, that one would not have crossed my mind. It was like a special – it's her jackpot, basically. Um, and at the time, our male panda was Basu. And when I tried to give him – a piece for the first time he didn't want it but then once he finally tried it he was all over it so every panda i've had so far loves nutrigrain bars um but i always think that strawberry is her favorite i have no reason to think that whatsoever <laughs> no rational reasoning there 
<laughs> That's amazing. But strawberry is her favorite Nutri-Green bar, and she also likes fig jam. Oh, really? Yes. That's interesting. Yes. She used to like figs, like fresh figs, um, but I think they're too hard for her to chew now because, I mean- That makes sense. How many teeth do you have left when you're a yeah. pretty much 20-year-old panda? Um, same with craisins. She used to like them. She doesn't eat them anymore. But her big treats, fig jam, Nutri-Green bars. I have noticed they do have a sweet tooth. I mean, because she likes those. Like grapes. Grapes are sweet. Yep. You know, and sometimes when we get grapes that are not as good as other grapes, they don't necessarily eat them. Yeah. So, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So that's Luna. And then, um, you know, we should be fair and talk about the other panda. Benjamin. Benjamin, who I got to see as a cub because he was born at Philadelphia to Spark. And um, and now is is in the general vicinity again, and I get to see as an adult, which is is pretty awesome. So tell me about Benny Boy. He gets a lot of visitors here too, Philly people. Oh yeah, he was yeah. he was stupid popular at Philly. Before. Yeah, he has his yeah. own cult following. It's been, not as big as Luna's. No, 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 no. I know. Okay, but um, but it's it's actually one thing that that I always find fascinating is just how different like populations take to different things or to different animals, even in the same species. Um, so Benjamin was born at Philly. Uh, to spark and then two years later she had ping jing and yaren who who are now off at the charles paddock zoo in california and no one gave a poop about <laughs> ping jing and yaren i've never seen anything like it panda cubs are adorable they were out with mom like playing i spent hours there and no one gave a poop about ping jing and yaren but benjamin like People will go to that zoo. I will be at the zoo now, and they will see, you know, like Kumbi, one of the adult, you know, pandas there, and be like, oh, that must be Benjamin. And I'm like, oh, no, guys, for many reasons, no. But also, how the heck do you remember Benjamin? Like, he's been to other zoos, he's bred, and now, you know, and I'm just like, yeah. he was so popular, and two years later, they did not give a poop about That's cows. crazy. <laughs> yeah, but so tell me about Benny Boy. I mean, Benjamin is 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 amazing, and, and I love him. Um but he's not the most social panda that I've worked with. He's he tends to have these moods where he's aloof, um, and then two days later he'll be all up in your grill. I mean, I, I you're just like pushing him away. Um, I mean, he's he's sweet, he's smart, ish. Um, <laughs> so I'm having trouble teaching him paw. That's all. Every other panda I've taught it to, which is admittedly only three um caught on within a week or two he's he's just he's struggling with it but he's very sweet he um he knows he learned very quickly to give luna her space uh if he gets too close she starts making her little squeak noises and then if he doesn't back off she will literally swat him in the face and he'll run away there's been times when i've seen him come in look at luna they make eye contact and he will literally walk backwards the way he came <laughs> and then turn around and run out. But um he's he's been a bit of a challenge uh with his with his moods. Um he I don't know if you want me to talk about this. I mean this is red panda people. Mucus stool. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, we okay. talked about the blahs on this on okay, this podcast okay. before. So yeah, yeah. He tends to have more mucus stool bouts than any other panda in the universe. Um and apparently Sacramento Zoo is doing a panda stool study. Oh, interesting. Um, 
And I think a year or two ago, I don't remember how long ago, um, they had asked for samples. So we're going to be collecting samples again. And our vet is convinced that it's because Sacramento is doing this because they had Benjamin, because he has such frequent right, bouts right. of mucus stool um, where he just is inappetent and lethargic and just a completely different panda than when he's not having these bouts. So that's really my challenge with him. He's a great panda. He's really sweet. Um, but when he has these these bouts of mucus stool, he's just very aloof. Yeah, and he, he really just, is. And, when I was hanging out with him, it was like the day after one, and he yeah. was very standoffish. He took a little yeah. bit, a little bit of food, but um, yeah, not not what I expected at all. And and, and that's fine, of course. Well, but, there's yeah. been other times when I've taken people to meet the pandas, and he's just he just comes running in, and he's right. in your face. So it's. It's it's hit or miss with him, so that is a challenge in you know training with him. So yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and he's just he's so handsome, especially when you catch him in the sunlight. That yeah. bright red coat. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if you saw. I posted a, a picture of him. Um, I think last week, and it's ridiculous. He looks the one where stunning. he's up. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's an amazing stunning. picture. Stunning. He's yeah. he's he's a good boy. Yeah, he's he's a gorgeous panda. He is. Absolutely. Um, so normally I save this for the end, but since we're talking pandas, um, are there any uh, any maybe conservation organizations that you want to give a shout out to? Uh, the Red Panda Network. <laughs> I'm wearing the hoodie. <laughs> uh, so tell me what you like about Red Panda Network. Uh, they, uh, they help red pandas. All right. Good chat. <laughs> <laughs> So no, that's that's absolutely right. And um, actually, I'll I'll tell you this. Um, I don't know if this will make the episode or not because I don't know if it's being announced or not. But uh, you know that I write for them. Um, I've I've been promoted, and I'm now their zoo coordination person. Uh, So International Red Panda Day this year is going to be me reaching out to all the zoos. No way! So you and I are going to be talking. Yeah. Oh, that is. If I'm still in town and not gigging, I may want to come here to hang out with Luna. Hang out with Luna and. And, and Ben. Well, yeah, yeah. Oh, I like Ben. Mostly but, Luna. Yeah. But, um, and, and, you know, try and get some cool footage and stuff for, like, on the actual day. But, cool. But we'll talk. We'll talk. Yeah. That's exciting. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I even get, I have a john at redpandanetwork.org email address now, which I'm like, I'm impressed. I'm so happy. Super impressed. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, anyway, uh, so let's talk about, I guess, maybe some of the other animals here. I guess. I guess. Um, Whatever. So the uh, one thing I was curious about is that I've noticed that you guys got a couple of foxes here. Tell me a little bit about, um, especially your silver fox. She's actually that's Bryn, and she's actually an education animal. She doesn't go on programs, um, but education staff will do talks with her, and they do a lot of training with her um, during the busy season. Uh, she was a confiscation. She was a pet. Um, that I guess the state confiscated and she ended up here and she's actually a really, really sweet animal. I actually, when I was first started here, when I was a seasonal, I had an opportunity to help take care of her on weekends. And so I got to work with her and she was, uh, a bit younger then, but I would go in her pen to clean and feed her. And if I knelt down, it was wintertime, had a hat on, she would jump on my back rip my hat off my head and run off with it. Yeah, she's she's a lot of fun. 
is she huge or is it just the trick of the light because of like where she's usually sleeping when I'm here? Yeah, she's she's normal size oh, fox, okay. really really thick coat. She, okay, yeah, she looks so big in that exhibit. Okay, I was yeah. like I to the point where when when uh, when I first met you, I had just walked away wondering if there were two foxes up there. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. but that is just a real thick coat. Then her coat is ridiculous, very luxurious. Yeah. yeah, yeah, or luxurious, ridiculous, same thing. Both, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you guys also have a really cool red fox exhibit here. We do. We have two red foxes that are actually pretty old at this point. Um, so you're not going to see much activity out of them. Uh, Mark and Sly. Um, I just learned that apparently, as far as zoos, uh, Mark is the oldest. Red Fox. That's amazing. Yeah. So, obviously, I instantly like him for that reason alone. But um, they're both a little kind of skittish. Mark's more chill than Sly. Sly's very – I mean, people have been working with him for as long as he's been here. and He's one of those animals that's still like, get away from me. (laughs) Um, But they're, you know, they're cool. I don't, I don't really know what to say about them. No, that's cool. I, yeah. I, I like getting like just names and cool yeah. little, you know, it's nice to know little details about the the individual animals. Mark came here as, he was young. He was he was a juvenile when he came here. I don't know his exact story, if he was injured um, and found or, or what, but he, he was a youngster when he got here and he is not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> He's really cool though. So you said that you've been you've you grew up around this zoo, correct? Correct. So you've 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 spent more than you know a minute here. Um, tell me about the the types of improvements and changes that you've seen over the the lifetime that you've spent coming here. Well, when I first started coming here, the the whole Savannah Bridge area out there, I don't think was was there. Wow. When okay. I first started coming here, um, and so. I had a chance to to see that as it was. I mean, I was young, right? Right. But you know, I'm mean, <laughs> a wee tot. But um, and I really and I remember the old otter exhibit. This this is kind of funny. Well, you might not think so, but anyway, <laughs> I when I started working here, I saw the otter exhibit, and I was remembering in my mind a different otter exhibit where there was like a bridge over. The, the water and you could look down and see the otters and I was like ah oh, that must have been that must have been the Philly Zoo and I went to the Philly Zoo with some friends looking for this otter exhibit and it wasn't there I'm like where was this otter exhibit I haven't been to that many zoos in my life so I was just randomly babbling about it to one of my coworkers here one day about this mythical otter exhibit and they were like no that was here that was here years ago before this one I was like oh okay so I, I am remembering correctly so. There was that. We had um, in the front of the zoo, there were um, prairie dogs. There was this open round exhibit with with prairie dogs. That was really cool, which I would like to see again because being interested in blackfoot ferrets, I'm naturally interested in prairie dogs. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's been so many changes that especially I feel like, I mean, there were a lot back then with the Savannah Bridge aviary was not here until... I was probably in high, probably mid-90s, maybe. Um, but I feel like the last five or six years, it's just been really 
intense with with upgrades and improvements and, and new animals and new species. And I, I feel like we've come a long, long way in a really short time. And there's even more coming. I mean, they're working on a kangaroo exhibit now. I know. And I know that you're getting your kangaroos from Nashville, at least some of them. And one of my very good friends says that they're very good kangaroos and you guys should be very excited. We are excited. Yeah. Even if they're not good kangaroos, we're still excited. (laughs) And we're getting emus too. Nice. So that's, that'll be, that'll be a fun exhibit. It'll be right near the, um, adjacent to the wallaby yard. Okay. So people can get a feel for the difference because so many people call the wallabies, understandably, Mm -hmm. Kangaroos. Oh, yeah. No, um, baby kangaroos. Every time you ever see a wallaby, yeah. it's a baby kangaroo. Yeah. Oh, we used to have Parma wallabies here. Wow. The little guys. Yeah. They were so cute. So <laughs> they were the babies, even though they were ancient at the time. And then the other guys were kangaroos. So it would be nice to see the contrast. It will be a good educational opportunity for people and keepers. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> awesome. I, um, I'm very excited. And, and I know that uh, Lauren Lott, who's a, a former guest of mine and, and was a, a kangaroo keeper at Nashville for a while, said uh, that, that, yeah, you guys are getting some really good ruse. Like, cool. really cool. So I've met most of the ruse at Nashville. And yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing population. Cool. So yeah. Now I'm really excited. Yeah, there. It's very cool. That's so, that's so cool. Um, and so I guess, um, you know, one thing that I would love love to know is just since this is a county zoo and it's like county run, um, how how's the COVID impact been for the zoo? It's been rough. So last year, during when everything first really started, um, during the lockdown and everything, the zoo was closed for three months. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. Three glorious months. <laughs> Of not having to deal with the public and being able to do my job uninterrupted. But I digress. Um, unfortunately, it did put a hurting on us financially because we do depend on those donations. And without people coming here for three months and in a relatively busy, normally busy part of the year, because we're talking April, May, mm-hmm. when things start yeah. to pick up, you have school trips and everything like that. So we missed out on a lot of revenue. Um, but it was interesting to see how the animals reacted too and then as people started coming back um so it was it was a once in a lifetime hopefully um learning experience uh that we just tried to focus on the positive aspects on it the another thing that was a challenge was because we didn't know what was going on with covid and what animals could get it and what couldn't we were really restricted as far as what animals we could train. We couldn't do any training with cats or primates during that whole time. And normally they get trained basically every day or almost every right, day. Right. Um, so that was, that was a tough thing to deal with as well. Um, going months without training these animals and then hoping that they would respond well and we could start again. And they all did. Um, but it was, it was rough and we're still, I think, still feeling some of the ripple effects financially from that shutdown. And we're starting to get back on track, but there's still some changes that have taken place um, that are still happening now from that. But hopefully a little more time and things will get back to normal. But I mean, you've been here, you see how busy it is now. People aren't afraid to to come. um, So that's good. 
Yeah, no, that is good. I did not realize that the donations are such a big deal here because, I mean, it is a free zoo, and I don't really trust people to donate that much. I wouldn't think that would be such a big thing. So that's actually kind of cool. The summer months here are ridiculously busy, and we rake in a lot of donations during that time. That's really good. Yeah, it is, because... Like you, I wouldn't think that we would make that much off of donations, honestly. Nope. And, and and I mean, because people don't necessarily have that much money to spare, no. you know, and in this like, day and age. It's old school. Y'all literally have a bucket. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm happy to pay to get into a zoo, but I almost never carry cash. So, Same here. Like, it's, I remember the first time I came here, they were like, hey, we're donation-based if you want to make a donation. And I was like, cool. And I pulled out my card, and they were like, holding a bucket out. And I was like, I, you, I don't know what to do right now. Okay, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go look at red pandas. Uh, You're like, what is this, 1985? Yeah. I, I don't was, understand what's happening. I was very entertained. And I was like, well, I guess I will not be um, <clears throat> making a donation. Okay. And um, yeah, so I, that's just awesome that you guys are able to function like that. That's really cool. It, is, it, it amazes me. I mean, I, I don't really know all the ins and outs of, of the financial aspect right, of the right. zoo. But it's we obviously do pretty well. So... Yeah. Super cool. Super cool. Um, so, you know, let's go back to the original thing we talked about here, which is ferrets. Um, I, I've been thinking about this, and I don't think I've really had a chance to talk much on the podcast about what the wild population situation is like with ferrets. And because most people walk into any PetSmart and see a bunch of these little, you know, stinky land otters, um, uh, you know, I'm not sure that people are aware. So, so tell me about the plight of ferrets in the wild. So, black-footed ferrets were, which are completely different from your domestic ferret. Um, they, their natural range is in the midwestern area of the United States, from Canada down to Mexico. So you'll have them in South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, etc., Arizona. Um, so it was just over 30 years ago. Um, when ferrets were thought to have been extinct completely in the wild, um, one was found. And it was found by a dog, a ranch dog, who caught this animal, brought it to its owners. The owners thought it was cool, took it to a taxidermist to have it mounted. And apparently the taxidermist was like, whoa, whoa, this is a black-footed <laughs> ferret. Apparently he knew this and called, I guess, Fish and Wildlife or whoever. And they came in and confirmed that it was, in fact, that. So they went to, this is in uh, Matitsi, Wyoming. So they went down there to track the population, and they found more. They found, like, a, a, a population of ferrets. And as the numbers started to dwindle, they realized they had to do something. So they ended up capturing them um, for breeding, for captive breeding. And there were 18 individuals that they captured and started breeding. So every black-footed ferret that is alive today is from those 18 individuals. Um, and so they would breed them and then eventually they release them into the wild in certain protected areas where they can live. And the problem with black-footed ferrets is that their main prey is prairie dogs. They're a very, very specialized predator. That's basically most of what they eat. Like kind of like the same percentage of, Red pandas eating bamboo right, is right. is black ferrets eating prairie dogs. Prairie dogs are seen as a nuisance animal to ranchers. That's where they live. They they have I don't know if you've ever seen a prairie dog mound, 
but they're pretty obnoxious. Yeah, they definitely. they can be pretty bad. Um, I've driven over some, and it's been they're they're rough on your vehicle. And ranchers were under the impression, whether or not it's true, it's there's really no evidence to to point out that this is true, that the cattle would break their legs on these. They trip on these, okay. these holes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So they were detrimental to the health of their ranches. Um, when in reality, I don't know if you've ever seen cattle, but they are surprisingly nimble. Some of the places I have seen them climbing and walking is just, it just blows my mind to a big clunky hoofed animal. Right. Hey, unbelievable. Interesting. Um, so there was a problem of getting prairie dogs back into specific areas and all these legal battles with ranchers and things like that. Um, so there are several breeding facilities throughout the country at zoos, um, for blackfooted ferrets. And then they will go once the babies are born and mom raises them, they will go out to Colorado to the blackfooted ferret conservation center where they have these outdoor pens where they condition them, their conditioning pens, um, with their mom. So they learn how to hunt in the wild. They will actually get to hunt live prairie dogs. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. So that way they'll know if they, if they pass this this (laughs) school, then they can be released into the wild. And I have actually had the opportunity not only to do the spotlighting surveys to count the ferrets and, and what they do is they, they'll trap them. They'll have a vet trailer set up. You take the ferret, you mark the exact prairie dog hole where you caught your ferret. You take your ferret up to the vet trailer and they'll work them up. They'll, you know, they, they gas them, pull any ticks off, vaccinate them, microchip them if they don't have a chip, record the number if they do. Um, and then you take your ferret back to the exact same location where you caught it and you release it. I've also had the opportunity to release brand new ferrets into the wild. Nice. Pretty amazing. Wow. And you do it kind of at near the end of the day. Well, it's still kind of light, but before dark hits, cause you don't want to leave them out in the middle of the day cause they're nocturnal. Right. Well, they're crepuscular really. Um, and it's just fun. You just, you, you have a bunch of ferrets, you find a, a, a decent spot in your, in your area and you just let her rip. And it's fun. I have some pretty amazing video footage of, Ferrets just walking, like hopping around, looking for a place to go, checking out different holes, which one, you know, which prairie dog hole do I want to live in? And it's just, it's pretty amazing. And you've probably heard this. So they have cloned a ferret for the first yes, time. Yes. Elizabeth Ann, I believe it is, from frozen sperm from one of the original 18. That's Which awesome. is amazing. And I've seen pictures of her and she is a, a, a to my untrained eye. <laughs> A perfect specimen of a black-footed ferret. Right, right. So it's it's amazing what they've been able to do in in this relatively short period of time. I and mean, we're talking like forty years, you know. Um, yeah. It's 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 amazing and it's inspiring to see all the effort that they put in. And it's it's hard because the populations don't always do well out there uh, for different reasons. Um, but like any population, you know, you're your coyotes, your swift foxes, they're having a good year. Ferris, not so much, you know, and, or, and then sometimes it, it goes the other way. So, but it's, it's fascinating. And doing those, those surveys is just the coolest thing. I've made some, some good friends out there. You, you get in a truck 
and you drive around literally all night with a spotlight and you you have some ridiculous conversations. You, you, <laughs> you, you tend to bond pretty quickly with somebody when you're you have the, the, the delirious fatigue of being up all night and you just talk about anything. Anything oh, yeah. goes and you just drive around and when you see that that eye shine, that green eye shine, and you know you have a ferret and you're driving up on it, it's just such a rush. How the heck do you actually catch the ferret? They are so fast and they go in holes. So here's what you do. You take a, a live trap, much like you would use to, to catch a groundhog in your yard. Sure. But so this trap is is long and it's it's rectangular, but it's long and narrow, like a ferret is long and narrow. And what you do is it's it's wrapped in a blanket. And you, you find which hole your ferret popped his head out of. Because normally when you see them, you'll see them running occasionally. But for the most part, you're seeing eye shine of a head that's sticking up out of a prairie dog hole. So you narrow down which hole that is. You take your trap that's wrapped in a blanket and you put the end. You don't need no bait, nothing. You put the end in that hole so it looks like a continuation of okay. the burrow, of the tunnel into the burrow. And then... The other thing you want to do is you're going to make sure you check other holes in the immediate vicinity that could potentially be connected. And you could either put another trap in there or put a, a plug in there. So that way they can't escape through another right, hole. Right. So you just leave the trap, go drive around for a half hour, hour, come back, shine a flashlight in that trap. And sometimes you have a ferret, sometimes you don't. <laughs> right. That's um, awesome. But yeah, I mean, because they're curious, like just like a domestic ferret, they're very curious and unafraid. Um very bad combination. Um, they'll just go right up into that trap and they'll just sit there. Amazing. It is. It's just, I miss doing it. Now I really want to go back out there. You know what I'm talking about it. Very cool. Very cool. It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're going to laugh and say, oh no. It's time for the Rossifari poop story. I love poop stories. Poop story. Picking up panda poop with your bare hands and then five minutes later eating cookies and then thinking to yourself, oh, wow, I probably should have washed my hands before I did this. Does that count? I mean, I yes, mean, that counts. I mean, that literally happened to me. I cleaned up some of their poop from their litter box because pandas poop in litter boxes. P.S. Um, and then I came back up front. I was like, oh, man, I'm hungry. Somebody brought cookies. And I was eating them and I was like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> Probably should have washed my hands. <laughs> but, you know. So you've, you've tasted a little bit of panda poop is what you're telling me. But not on purpose. No, no, not on purpose. Just it's, but it's happened. Yes. It's a good poop story. Poop story. Yes. <laughs> I try. I mean, poop is my life. I mean, I have a fair rescue. So literally yeah. poop is my life. Yeah. Fair, fair. All right. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. My pleasure. It. Yep. That was one of those things that I love, where I just show up expecting to talk about diets and pandas and then find out that, oh, hey, this amazing person also runs a ferret rescue. And uh, all of that was just kind of fascinating to me. So uh, yay, weasel warriors. You can check Amy out on Instagram at aimless underscore Amos. That's A-I-M-L-E-S-S underscore A-M-O-S. And also remember that you can check out the Cape May County Zoo at Cape May County Zoo and cmczoo.org. And if you're interested in the ferret rescue, you can check them out at Weasel Warriors on Instagram and Facebook. 
All right, I'll be back on Thursday with some new zoo news. And don't forget, if you have zoo or conservation news stories that you think would fit that podcast, then please send them to me at rossafaripod at gmail.com or tag me in them on Facebook or Instagram at rossafari. All right, y'all, here come those Stiderk. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.